is your field is our office. My name is Ashley Storby, field agronomist with Pioneer in South Central Minnesota. And with me is my neighbor to the West, field agronomist Jay Zilski. Jay, how are you doing this morning? You know, if you're honestly, if you really want to know, Ashley, I'm kind of suffering from a serious case of planting envy as I as I hear progress that you folks to the east and extreme southeast Minnesota are making. And then I go out for my ride this morning and uh, what am I uh, greeted by at uh, 10 to 6, but a uh, red sky in the east. And I'm thinking, well, red sky in the morning, sailor take warning. Last thing we need is another shot of rain. And uh, we had a few showers here in, in Mankato. You know, the good thing is we don't raise any corn actually in North Mankato. So hopefully it uh, looked like the line was fairly close to the north here. Maybe we missed out on some of that. But we've had some challenges, Ashley, in our area trying to get uh, corn in the ground. So I'm anxious to uh, get an update from you and, and our guest and, and maybe what you folks are seeing out in the field. Yeah, well, we're sure feeling for you over there to the west, you and, and, and the guys over there. Hopefully you'll catch a break. We've been making really good progress. A uh, lot of, lot of um, folks getting wrapped up or at least can see the finish line. So we're, we're pretty happy with things, how things are progressing over here. But we'll, we'll get an update from the east, the far east. You guys are moving even a little faster, Josh. But we only thought that it, it would be appropriate to begin with our first GDU update. And it is most appropriate, Josh, to have you provide the update because you had a famed show on Periscope with your counterpart, Brian Buck, and you guys provided GDU updates at the beginning of your show. And I know you had a great following and we, and we thought it was, it was only appropriate for you to be our, our first uh, podcast guest, our first repeat podcast guest that would provide the GDU update. So Josh, can you start with sharing how we're tracking on GDUs? Yeah, I sure can, Ashley. And uh, thanks, Jay and Ashley, for, for having me back on. And, uh, a little busy here, so I'll try to walk through this chart a little bit slow just so it makes sense. But we're going to look at GDUs, um, kind of three different locations here, uh, Rochester, Faribault, and Mankato. And we're going to look at two different date ranges here and just kind of also just, uh, you know, just a comparison to a year ago where we're at. So, so looking at Rochester, our first date range, we go back to April 7th to May 16th. Uh, we picked up 223 GDUs. Uh, looking back at the heat wave we had there um, last week, late and through the weekend, a big chunk of that came from that. Interesting, if we compare that to the same time frame, a year ago, we were at 165. So actually trending you know, quite a bit higher when you think about just April, May GDUs uh, than we were a year ago, which last year we kind of think about, you know, oh, it was so dry. And you maybe just sometimes remember that with it was hot and dry, but it was actually just extremely cold and dry last year. Uh, if we jump over to Faribault, if you look at that April 7th to May 16th, we're 217 compared to 182 a year ago. Uh, if we go to Mankato, uh, 226 compared to 179. So very similar trends, all three locations. Actually very pretty tight GDUs overall at the three locations so far. Uh, and, you know, we have a lot of corn popping up across the area. Obviously, that's, that's a, you know, almost double the GDUs we need. Uh, depending on when you planted there to get corn out of the ground. Now we take a step back. Obviously, not everyone was planted by April 7th. Um, if we take a look at GDUs from May 7th uh, to May 16th, Rochester, we're at 65 compared to 48 a year ago. If we go over to Faribault in that same time frame, 142 versus 57. In Mankato, a warm spot over there, Jay, you've been pretty balmy over there, uh, 150 uh, versus 58 a year ago. But uh, yeah, pretty, pretty impressive. Um, yeah, I don't think it's, it didn't maybe feel like a warm spring leading up to a week ago, but uh, yeah, we kind of skipped spring and jumped to summer and it was quite a, quite a run there. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting, uh, Josh. When you look at those numbers, you know, may, maybe we're not as far behind as it as it feels over here. You know, and, and so I was doing a little bit of math because our our probably our best planting window here this year started around the the seventh, sixth, uh, and seventh of May. And and you know, if we compare uh, the GDUs we've experienced from since then compared to a year ago starting in early April, we're only 20 to 30 GDUs behind last year. And that's, that's rather, you know, to me, that's rather astounding, Josh, but you know, you have a better memory than me and you were saying, uh, making some reference earlier to, you know, fact, well, it was kind of a cold start last year, huh, Josh? Yeah, it was, you know, all of us get out there and do, do plots in the spring and, and last spring it was, you had to bundle up big time to be out there doing plots last year. And then this year I could have been out there in shorts and t-shirts a few days. There's been some cold ones too, but that, that's just kind of how I remember. I just remember last year, just every plot I went to, it was cold or I remember doing plots with flurries. I mean, the dust was flying bone dry and there was flurries in the air, but um, yeah, a lot of our GDUs last year didn't kick in until the very end of May. You know, we had the Memorial day frost. And then from that point on June, July and August were just, we just took off to the races and that's where all of our heat came from. So, uh, you know, Ashley and, and Josh kind of curious, you know, I'm, I'm envious of you folks because in a lot of cases you're pretty much winding down on, on corn planting. And over here, we we're anywhere from, uh, folks down to their last field or two of corn to in some cases folks on their first field or two of corn. So, you know, we're envious, but is everything, sunshine and roses to the east or are you seeing some challenges out there ashley what what are you seeing out there oh well uh two things i'd like to highlight um the first is a positive that that is a key takeaway for me for this season that I, i'm pretty excited about and i know you guys have examples of this too in your areas uh the first corn that was planted in my area was on april 27th and that was a really small opportunity for most operations because we, we weren't quite fit on a lot of farms, um, from a moisture perspective and, and we were cold. Um, but there were some farms that, that tend to become fit earlier in the season that were ready to go. And I had a, a little bit of capitalization on that window in my territory. And I, I wanted to give some feedback on that planting date. Um, that was for uh, April 27th. Um, I should know that day that, that this field I'm thinking of in particular was planted, I walked out and stuck a thermometer in the ground. My thermometer read 40 degrees at 1.30 in the afternoon. So it, there was time for the soil to heat up, you know, in the heat of the day. Um, and if you reference the, the um, University of Minnesota Wasika station and their soil temperature data, in that time frame, we had averaged for the three days subsequent to planting a 40.8 degree two inch soil temperature. So it was really cold. Um, and that stand is beautiful. I, it happened to be our, our 103 day hybrid 0339 Chrome. Um, and it's a beautiful stand. So I am so pleased with that. And for me personally, that, that was very, um, that was a learning experience for me to have more confidence in planting into cooler soils if the conditions are appropriate. Um, so that was a positive. Um, yesterday I, I made a loop around, um, beginning in, um, Dodge County, um, working my way up into Goodhue and Dakota County. And we, we do have some, some crusting challenges from that rain event last, I believe it was last Wednesday, um, that varied in degree of severity throughout my area. Um, the, the South side of my area, South of Owatonna, 
was uh, spared from that rain event. But as we go north into my territory, starting in Owatonna and then moving to the far north, they, they have some significant crusting. And so the, the planting dates that I observed yesterday were um, April or April, uh, May 6th and 7th were the, the most um, concerning planting dates because those, those plants were far enough along that the coleoptile was, was emerged or um, was pressing against a crust. And then where the crust was not as uh, significant then plants were already emerged. So we're starting to see some variability there and, and really needed some attention to help that stand um, emerge properly. And then I looked at some, some May 9th and 10th planting dates. Those still have a little bit of time and hadn't started to turn on me yet. Um, so those are my two very, very um, opposite observations um, on the, on the spectrum, but a, a positive and then one we need to be looking at. Well, that's, yeah, that is exciting, Ashley. I remember we were talking that day that that corn was going in and the soils were very cool. And if I remember right, it probably was uh, some of that lighter ground around Hope where then you have that greater fluctuation in the temperatures on some of those sands. So uh, yeah, that, that's, that's cool. That's exciting. Josh, how about you? Any, any challenges or everything just beautiful in God's country of Southeast Minnesota? Yeah, it's, things progress well. You know, we're, we're sitting very good on progress. Corn is in the 90% done range, whether that's, you know, 95 or six or seven, it's always hard to gauge that. Beans after last night, um, yeah, obviously it was a huge push starting Saturday, Sunday, Monday, um, I know everyone ran late last night, but we're probably, you know, well past the halfway mark, might be two thirds on the beans. It's always hard. They're half, they go in so fast. It's hard to gauge, but coming down the home stretch. Uh, yeah. Only major challenge is a little bit of crusting. It's not as probably widespread as it is to the West, just because we were spared. A lot of the geography was spared the rain. So that you both encountered last week and the crusting we have, what I've looked at, it, it's probably you know, maybe three to 4% of the acres in that window. And it's not a, I don't know how to define it. It's not a really hard crust, Jane Ashley. It's kind of a, it's a very thin, fragile crust. We're, we're, you know, the plants are there, they're struggling, um, but we are, where we do rotary hoe, we're just exploding the crust. You know, sometimes I, we can get to a point where the rotary hoe is just kind of making some marks out there, not doing what we need. In this case, if we go out there, we're gonna do a very good job, which isn't always the case, but so a little bit, you know, dealing with a little bit of that, um, you know, for us, we're actually a lot of our, uh, the Southeast corner is getting extremely dry. So I know you guys are fighting wet and out there. We have some, you know, some situations where beans are going in some pretty dry dirt where we missed all the rain last week. Where we're kind of after the, the hot stretch there in the wind, you know, we, we could use a little bit of rain, just, you know, get those beans going and, and uh, you know, help with a little bit of crusting and, and maybe just to give everybody a break. It's been a pretty big push over here since last Monday. We haven't really stopped, but um yeah, otherwise no major challenges. Uh, similar to Ashley, that that April 27th, 8th little window, that those corn and beans that were planted there look just flawless. You know, probably some of the nicest emergence we've seen. You, you look at the last few years, it's taken 25, 30 days to get the crop up and getting the stuff up, up and running and you know, maybe 14 days to emergence and some stuff less than that. It looks good. But yeah, overall good. Just uh, could use a little bit of rain over here. I know that's probably not what you all want to hear to the West, but um. Yeah, overall, just been a big push and um, was looking grim there for a while. But um, yeah, it's amazing how fast we put the crop in today. Well, Josh, it's uh, it, it's it, it's exciting to hear that things are going well for for you. You know, a couple of interesting things, I, I think, from from what both of you shared. One, you know, and, and and that being over the years, a lot of times we've talked about uh, if soils are fit to plant, even if the soils are, are cold, go ahead and do it. And that, you know, there's always a lot of scuttlebutt about uh, chilling injury and such. And, and yet, once again, 
we've come through, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, really uh, shi shining uh, in, in the situation as far as some of those challenges. Um, and the other thing that, you know, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I don't know how to say this, but I, I almost kind of feel like I a bit predicted it and get a little bit of a grief from uh, some, some farmers when I say, well, historically, the 6th and 7th of May have been some of the worst days to apply on corn. <laughs> and sure enough, <laughs> this year, you know, and there was some folks saying, okay, Jay, so you're saying don't plant corn? And it's like, no, I'm not saying don't plant corn, but just know that you might need to help it out of the ground a little bit. And uh, I hear, you know, the fact that, Josh, really, you, you have a small percentage of your acres showing some crusting. I think probably last year, you maybe had a greater percentage earlier on where you had some pounding rains and it's almost reverse of a, of a year ago where you were having those crusting issues um, and we weren't. Now, this year over this way, we are in some of these fields that have a little bit higher clay content. We're seeing some crusting issues. I know, Ashley, I was talking to uh, Annie Fox, uh, your territory manager yesterday, and she was in the old Concord area. And I think there's some other areas around there where they had a pounding rain and a really, really thick crust. And, uh, you know, I think the thing is, is that, uh, you know, my, my, my word of advice always is, you know, when in doubt, hoe. And, and she was dealing with some pretty thick crusts over there where he had some of those pounding, uh, pounding rains. And so, um, you know, she was encouraging folks to use a hoe. And we had a little bit of a discussion about, um, you know, whether or not to hoe soybeans, which is, becomes a really, really dicey <laughs> issue. And I have on a handful of occasions uh, recommended that, but it gets to be kind of a dicey recommendation there. Um, and, and one of the other things, and I just kind of, they all, off the wall uh, suggestion is, you know, in some cases, I've had a few instances over the years where we've had such a thick crust in corn that a hoe, even a good hoe, e even a Yetter, an MW, or a Case IH hoe wouldn't break it up. And we've actually had guides go in with the planter, if they were done planting corn and beans with an MD planter, and go in and set it as if you were maybe planting uh, three quarters to an inch dip. Uh, inch deep and go right back across the field like you were planting again and having those disc openers bust open that crust. And I always tease you guys, you know, don't try, don't worry about getting off the row. You can't drive that straight <laughs> that you're going to nail into those coleoptiles. And it works miracles. And it's, it's an unconventional thing. And I remember the first couple of times I recommended it to anybody, they thought I was totally crazy. And, uh, you know, I can't say it was my original idea. Uh, Jim Borsma, who was a longtime agronomist with Pioneer to the West, that was kind of his old uh, little ace in the hole secret. If you can't bust a crust with the uh, rotary hole, that's a kind of last ditch effort that you can use. Um, but it's, uh, again, predominantly on, on corn. I, I wouldn't recommend that you try that on beans. You might knock off those, uh, those hypocotyls. But, uh, you know, shifting gears in, 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 in Josh, maybe you've had other years. I know one of the things that we're dealing with over this way is, and we may again today, is guys worked fields up, then they got a shot of rain before they could plant. And what's your recommendation, Josh? How do you tell people to treat these situations? I know what I've told folks, but I'm curious what you and Ashley have recommended to folks in those situations. Yeah, it's always a conundrum. And, um, you know, depending on how much rain you get, I, I always try to prefer not to rework that ground at all costs if we can avoid it. There are extreme situations that if you haven't worked and, and you get really 
hard, heavy amounts, and maybe it prolongs that that ground can seal over and, and give you trouble. Um, but in most cases, it all it's a case by case deal. It all depends on how much rain. I try to avoid it. I don't mind planting over it, especially when it's really warm. Um, you know, good conditions. You know, you can handle a little bit of dampness down there if if the top is pretty dried off and it's warm. But um, there are situations over it seals off so much that we just can't get it dried out. In some cases, you just have to go back out there and do it. But you know, I don't like you know making extra trips across the field, so I try to avoid it at all costs. But uh, most cases we plant right over it, but there are, you know, maybe five, 10% of the times that we do got to rework it because it's just sealed over too tight. And that, that's the, the um, sentiment in my area as well. I, I had intercepted some, some feedback from you on the Jay on the, um, the merit of reworking a field that's, that's been worked already and then rained on. And um, so I, I was ready for that conversation. I haven't, I haven't experienced as that obstacle um, in a planting season before. So that was a learning opportunity for me. And uh, the, the sentiment that I have gotten from my customers, from my farmers in that area where we got that really big rain, you know, last week when that rain hit, that gave us the crusting, it was super varied. And then that uh, west of Owatonna, uh, southwest of Owatonna and the Medford, um, there was a band that was really heavy. That Concord, Concord area that you mentioned, you know, where that thick crust came from, that was really heavy. And the concern that's been shared is that, that those fields may not dry up. Some of those may not dry up enough for us to be fit for planting. So then they may get, may get hit again. But for the most part, um, the folks I've talked to have been comfortable going back in, which is the planner. Well, that's that. That's good to hear that uh, we have a consensus there. It's you know, and in in recommendations I've had for folks as well. And I, I think back to my recollection was back to 1991. Yeah, all those years ago, and uh, I, I still remember that year. Some folks that reworked some fields that year, and then they got a shot of rain, and you just almost never got back in those fields mm -hmm. again. And so, you know, the recommendations, you know. I, I have for folks, I have three key things I usually share with them. And it's, it's one, you know, be, be patient before you go in, <laughs> be, be sure you wait plenty long before you go in. And the, the second thing is if you happen to have row cleaners, make sure that you back off on those row cleaners. So you're not moving the decent soil out of the way and you're planting into some uh, sticky gooey stuff. And, uh, you know, I think the third thing is, is, is probably in, in most cases, maybe, back off a little bit or make sure you're not more than maybe about 120 pounds of downforce, something like that. So we minimize uh, what we might see as far as any uh, sidewall smearing, those kind of things. And, uh, you know, I had a, a farmer I talked to yesterday that he was in that situation and he was putting his corn down three inches deep, which really makes me <laughs> ner nervous that he was, you know, could have any decent soil. He was planting at three inches. So I had him back off a little bit in his planting depth as, as well. And it just seems historically, before we move on here, it seems like historically in those situations, if you work it again, and then you are able to get in and plant, plant it, that field is so fine, it ends up being likely that it's going to seal up and potentially crust overrun you again um, on the, on the corn. So, um, you know, uh, Ashley, just kind of moving on here, you know, any, any concerns that you have before, uh, kind of talk, you know, Josh is lucky, you know, they're so far along, they're already talking about planters for next year. We're trying to get the planters out of the shed and into the field. Josh, Josh and I are going to talk about a few things about guys that want to order planters for next year. But before we get to that, Ashley, um, Tell me uh, any concerns that you have uh, now as we look at the next week or two here. 
Um, you know, the first thing is just wrapping up the activity on, on mitigating this crust. We, we have had, um, we do have a little bit of rain in the forecast. Um, I haven't checked it this morning to see how that, that has changed, but as of last night, we had a, a good shot that could hit our area on Thursday and we, we've been coaching our, our customers experiencing crusting to try to try to haul rather than wait for the rain. And in some cases we're, we're still, we're still thinking about waiting for that rain. And I, I'm a little worried that we're not going to get enough to mitigate the, the challenge that we've got, especially in some of these really thick crusted areas. So that's on my mind of just getting that message out um, and, and encouraging our customers affected to Rotary Ho if possible um, and, and check, especially right now, you know, that uh, May 5th through May 7th planting date as you can. Um, and then it's been a battle getting um, any, any field applications done that are um, held back by wind. So those soybeans that are in the ground that we'd like to have uh, our pre-sprayed on, well, that, that's something that we'll need to that will be a, a primary focus as possible. Um, but just knowing we, we've been battling some less than ideal spray conditions. So hopefully we have some windows to capitalize on there, um, on that respect. But those are the things that are on, on my radar, Jay. Ashley, that's an excellent point. And I think Josh, he alluded to it earlier as well. We've got these warmer soil conditions now and these soybeans, whether it be corn or beans are gonna be popping out of the ground real quickly. And there's always that caution or just really one, uh, you know, expedite the process as far as getting those pre's applied. Folks watching the fields very closely because for many of the pre's, you know, if we're looking at, at something like uh, uh, Sonic or Surveil, um, Authority First, Kyrie, you can go down a list of products that many of these pre's, if we have beans are in that cracking stage, you don't want to be making those applications. Otherwise you could have some, some damage to those beans and sell. Um, these beans are going to be there quickly. Um, you know, farmers who, who make their own applications of pre's, you know, be on top of it. And I think the other thing is, if you're having it custom applied, the spray custom applied, that you're scouting the fields ahead of time to make sure that those beans aren't in that cracking stage either. So I think those are a couple of things that, that I, uh, I agree, Ashley, things I'm looking, uh, looking at as far as potential concerns going forward here. And, uh, you know, so we're going to, we're going to, fast forward a long ways. And, and of course, you know, I'm always flattered when I, I get a call, whether it be from Josh or Ashley or any of my other colleagues saying, you know, I want to run something by you. It makes me feel good. It's like, geez, you know, the old guy maybe knows the thing or two. He can share <laughs> a little bit of wisdom or insight. And so, you know, Josh called me uh, the week ago and he says, I want to pick your brain a little bit. And I said, okay, well, what are you seeing out in the field? And he says, well, no, it's not what we got going on out in the field. It's uh, one of, you know, I got guys talking about ordering planters for next year. And, uh, you know, I, I want to run some things by you there. And, uh, you know, and, and it had to do with, um, you know, okay, starter fertilizer. Uh, do we want to put, uh, do, how do we want to be set up? Do we want to put fertilizer in furrow? Do we want to put it off to the side on the surface and such? And uh, I thought it was, was very interesting. And I, I thought, you know, Josh, we ought to have you on the podcast. And then this morning I get up and I just happen to be scrolling through Twitter this morning. And, and here somebody was out there asking folks what they thought about putting uh, fertilizer on the planter. So um, Josh and I had a, had a good dialogue and, and Josh, maybe why don't you share some of your thoughts and your insights as you're having discussions with farmers in your area, making recommendations for what you think they might ought to consider on their planter for next year. 
Yeah, and it. Um, I had a few questions start, you know, kind of rolling in the phone, got busy there 10, 12 days ago. I, I don't know the equipment world, but obviously there must be some deadlines if you want to get a planner for next spring. Uh, and everyone's kind of, you know, taking a look at it. And sometimes it seems like in recent years, Jay, it's been more about, you know, do I go to high speed? Do I put speed tubes on? What do you think? You know, should I put hydraulic downforce on? And it seems like everyone's going that direction now. If you're going to get a new planner, you're going to do that. And then the next big thing now is the starter conversation. And, um, you know, I always say, Jay, some things come full circle. You look at the evolution of starter when we, you know, 20 years ago when we vacated dry, we all went to low volume inferro liquid. And then, you know, it seems like we're, I'm not saying we're going back. We're not going back to dry, but some of this is kind of coming, coming full circle. It's always interesting how that goes about. And, and, and uh, what the common thing is, you know, guys are thinking about placement. Should we go in furrow? Should we, you know, maybe go back to two by two? A lot of people have really liked putting UAN and ETS, you know, maybe on no-till acres or especially corn on corn where you can, can ban some sulfur and, and nitrogen. And, and, and the crop really likes that, I think, when it gets from like V3 to, to V10, you know, which is a nice placement. You keep away from residue. But, you know, the, and the thing that I think is changing, Jay, and the reason I call it is that we need to maybe think not just about the fertilizer so much where we think about newer products coming to market like for example you know Zyway kind of showed up a year ago everyone wanted to use it and and you know and we it was a learning curve right we saw some awesome results from but we also saw the challenge of if we put it in furrow we can reduce stands and we saw that firsthand i had some split planters that we were seeing five to six thousand reduction in stands so then it recommended well we need to go off to the side two by two or two by zero or just have a way that we're not in furrow. So, you know, the conversation, I just really, I think we got to think through is it's not just about what fertilizer we want to put on. We got to start looking down the road of what products might be going on with it. And I think one of the, the two big ones right now is you look at Zyway, don't want it in furrow. Then you think about Pivot Bio, I'm not endorsing any of these. They want it all in furrow. So now we got a conundrum of we have products that only want to be in furrow and we have products that don't want to be in furrow. And obviously we got to have a starter system to accommodate that. So it's kind of a, you know, do we look at going one or the other? I, I think in some cases, um, you know, maybe looking at, at the, the system of both, maybe that's the way we got to go as we, we continue to see new products come to market. And that's why I called DJ of, you know, I don't want to put somebody in a corner that we, we make a decision what to do with starter. And then all of a sudden, well, you didn't tell me I couldn't use this product and I want to use it. So Josh, you know, I think, as I recall our conversation last week, I mean, I think one of the things that I've been seeing in my area is this shift towards more and more folks looking at a zero by two placement, uh, you know, surface applied two inches off the row. And in a lot of cases, what, what they've done is rather than, um, or rather than, or in addition to putting 1034 in furrow or some sort of starter, they're going with um, some, they're, they're putting their sulfur on as far as some ATS along some with some 32 or 28% um, in that zero by two uh, position um, off, off the row. And, you know, it allows them to go with uh, some, some, some higher volumes. Uh, where I think we're also seeing some situations where I particularly like it, Josh, as far as corn on corn reduced till situations where we have some readily available in there right out of the chute, whether it be a nitrogen or sulfur real close by. And so, you know, I think what, what, what you're suggesting, Josh, is, you know, and I think that was part of our conversation is it's easy for us to spend farmers money 
but you're saying, you know, with some of these things coming down the pike, it might be nice to be set up to do, to do both. And, and Josh, you've seen some systems where they can, they can do either, or is that right? Or both yeah. because it challenges. If you try to do both, mm-hmm. then what are you going to have two sets of tanks? How, yeah. how are we going to do this, Josh? Yeah. And, and that's the challenge. And, and I do have producers that do both. They'll run in for all and maybe two by zero, or in some cases got the equipment of two by two. I also have some that have both plumbed both ways, but they're running one pump and they're just turning a valve. Okay. This one. Okay. We're switching to two by zero or we're switching to inferro. You know, it's one tank. Maybe it's, it's a different mix. So they're adding different products, but it gives them flexibility on the short term to be able to maybe utilize all these products and try them on their farm. And then maybe if they say, Hey, well, I'd really like to do both. I got the plumbing, I'll add a tank and another pump and, and we're off to the races. But I think in most cases, you know, if I look at this, Jay, I think we want to, you know, and it's always another thing. Then you talk about the two by two things. Some people don't want the culters. They don't want the moving parts. They don't want the weight, you know, there's, mm-hmm. so I'm kind of at a bolt where I would order the pan, the planner, maybe with one fertilizer tank, plummet to inferral, plummet to two by zero. And like I said, you could always add a tank if you, if you, in another pump, if you decide you want to run both, but I think having at least the plumbing to do both is probably where I'm leaning people is just that not knowing what else might be coming. But I think as you know, obviously you look at the Zyway thing, I think what we're realizing is, you know, between our seed treatments, Jay, we're getting, there's only so much we can put on the seed and there's only so much stuff we can put in furrow. And I think we're starting to reach that tipping point where we're going to need some more flexibility as, as some of these products come to market that show some very good promise, you know, working good results. Um, but I, I just think we don't want to box ourselves in a corner that we can't use some of these newer products coming down the pipeline that, that might, that we might place closer to the seed. And, uh, and I think having a, an inferro and a, you know, some off to the side, I think you just do two by zero. It's just, it's easy. I think it's, it's probably the most inexpensive way to put it. It's just some hosing and, and plumbing and tubes and, not all the coulters and moving parts and weight is probably the direction I'm steering people towards, but everyone's different on that. Um, you know, there's probably 35 combinations, Jay, we can set these things up depending <laughs> on how you want to do it. It's just, you know, what's the right one and, and what at least gives you the most flexibility looking forward. Yeah. And I think you're, I think you're right for each farmer. It's going to maybe be just a little bit, a little bit different setup depending on their rotation or fertility levels you know, uh, so, so on. And, you know, so one comment I I'd make, and I haven't had, um, any direct exposure myself, uh, Josh and, and Ashley is you, you made reference to, to Zyway. My understanding now is that they, they have some sort of a new system. I think it's called thrive 3d where they kind of foam the product. It's supposed to be safer and for us. So I, I just want to make sure we mention that as, as well, that, um, that that is out there and, and we'll have to see um, to what kind of results are out there this year as well. But, uh, and I know it was really interesting and maybe we'll kind of move on to, to the close here, but uh, uh, a while back, I heard, heard a farmer, there was this discussion, um, you know, tied into uh, tar spot. Could Zyway potentially have some, some benefit for, for, uh, for tar spot and maybe remains to be seen, but in this particular grower situation, the thing that was interesting is, you know, he happened to be in Southwest Wisconsin, um, in some of the valleys on some contours where it wasn't going to work out for him to come in with an airplane. It wasn't going to work out for them with a ground rig to not drive over a bunch of corn to try to put a fungicide on. And so he was thinking, well, maybe this might fit that situation. 
as well. So, so once again, you know, depending on the farmer situation, a different setup might be the, uh, might be the answer. So, um, Josh, appreciate your, your insights there and, and a little bit of vision for, uh, for farmers as far as how, what they might want to consider as they set up their planners. So, um, Ashley, I think probably it's a time we, uh, bring this to a close here. So uh, I'll let you wrap things up, Jack, Ashley, for this week. Well, sure. That sounds wonderful. Uh, listeners, you can find me on Twitter at Ashley Storby. Um, Jay, you're on Twitter at Seed Zeke. Josh, um, tell us where we can find you on Twitter. And then can you also mention mm -hmm. how we might be able to find you on Discord? Yeah, uh, my Twitter handle is at Josh Offner, and that might be the easiest way to, to find us on Discord. We have a, a great library of information there. If you go to my homepage of Twitter, I got a direct link right on my profile there. So be sure to check that out as well. Wonderful. You can join us on our next podcast as we discuss stand evaluation. Thank you for listening. This has been episode 11 of Your Field is Our Office. Be safe and stay healthy. <laughs>